0: The process is preparing you for promise. And let me just tell you right now, no matter where you're at, no matter how good or how bad it is, God is setting you up. He's setting you up. He's always setting you up, not not to come against you, not for failure, but God is always always setting you up for the next thing, for the next season. Uh, When we moved to Dallas two and a half years ago, right, two and a half years ago to plant our church, um, we didn't have a full-time job we were coming to. We we left the security of someone else paying our paycheck. Um, You know, I've got, at that time, we had two and a half kids because Leslie was still pregnant. Man, we were really moving out with what God put in our heart to do. And we had all these things like saying, you know, our house sold in 24 hours. Like all these things really happened on the front end of that, which were like putting a yes in our spirit. It was really confirming things to say, hey, yeah, this is what you need to do. This is the place you're going. But when we moved out here, What we found is that we couldn't find a house. And we didn't know where we were going to live. Uh, we knew that we were going to plant a church, kind of in the Grand Prairie area. But we, we had none of that. We were going into a very a, a situation that was very blind. So we ended up being homeless, technically homeless. Leslie always like, no, we weren't homeless. We weren't living on the streets, but we didn't have a home. We didn't know where we were going to live, any of that kind of stuff. So we were stuck in this process for about two months of of not knowing, like very blind. And it was listen for me, it was like I have kids. You know, I have a wife that had that depended upon me, and all I had was a little part-time job making about half the income that I was making before. And so we were, it was scary. We were living in this uh, little, for a couple of weeks, we lived in one of these extended stay hotels where, like, a lot of druggies live and a lot of people like that. And so it was kind of a creepy place at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, and, uh, you know. It's crazy to look back at it because in, in the moment, it felt like it was the worst thing ever. Now, looking back at it, it wasn't so bad, but I remember one night, it was a room that was like half, less than half the size of this room, probably uh, maybe about half the size of this room, huh? Or a third maybe, and uh, there were two beds and a little kitchenette in there, a tiny room, you know, we were going third world, it was really good for us, and um Except for we had a bed, and so we had these two little like you know full size beds, and the kids are sleeping on one bed. This is before Elisa was born, and Leslie and I would sleep on the other bed. Uh, we normally like to sleep in the same bed most of the time, and so we were there, and and uh, my bed was closest to the kids' bed. Now this place wasn't nice. Like it wasn't it wasn't sexy. You know what I'm saying? It was it was pretty freaky. And uh, so the door, part of that door wouldn't like shut completely all the way. So it was kinda like bowed up at the top and there was like light from the outside kind of creeping. I mean it was freaky. And so we're, you know, hearing gunshots. and but didn't hear gunshots. So uh, we weren't at CFN. So, um, <laughs> we uh, so this room is like you know kind of bowing and uh, and you know we're sleeping one night and uh, Judah gets out of bed and, you know because the door it, it kind of looked open it wasn't it was locked it had the safety locks and I'm laying there and I'm asleep and I hear I hear Judah go Daddy. And i like freaked out. I look over here and he's like right in my face and he's like, is the door locked? <laughs> like he was scared, you know, he had all this fear in him and I, I just remember in that moment thinking, God, you've got to get us out of this threshold. You've got to get us out of this season. We are ready for the next thing and I'm sure you guys can connect in places where you've been in your life where you say, man, what do I do when I'm in the threshold? What can I do to speed up the process? Listen, there's, there is going to be a process and it is going to be for a season, but again, I want to talk about today that, that there is a way to move the process along, or you can stay there. But a lot of times, the choice is up to us. Um, when I think about crossing over, when I think about moving into the next place, I always think of the children of Israel, right? They were enslaved for 400 years, and... Uh, So God raises up Moses, this great deliverer, this great leader who leads millions of people. We we see the story of the ten plagues, all this kind of thing. And Moses leads these people out of slavery. Now, listen, it wasn't like he had, you know, like 200 people. He had 600,000 capable soldiers. That's the only thing that Scripture tells us. It doesn't tell us about their family. It doesn't tell us about the older people. It doesn't tell us about the babies. It just says there were six six 600,000 soldiers. So most people agree that there were probably between one and a half and two million people that Moses had to lead out of Egypt. Now here's a guy that had been gone for like 40 years. And he shows up on the scene he's like, I'm gonna get you guys out of here. And they're like, Yeah, let's go. So we know that he called, that that Moses partnered with God. They brought the plagues, they brought the judgment to, to set people free. Judgment is always to set people free. Let me just say that. That's free today. Judgment is never never done out of anger. It's always done to get you free. So as the believer, we should be someone that embraces judgment in our lives because we're wanting God to refine us. Anyway, that's a whole other message. And we can, we can talk have conversations about that. Um so we see this. So then they get out, you know, they all they're let out the the plagues that finally, you know, Moses let my people go and you guys can, you know, watch movies, probably not the latest movie that came out, but you know, there's a cartoon, I don't remember what it's called, the the Prince of Egypt, great 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 depiction of that. And so so what happens is the children of Israel are all at the edge of the Red Sea and then the Egyptians decide, "Hey, we're going to attack these guys. We don't want to let them go. We've changed our minds." So here they come with all their warriors, you know, a lot you know, all these people coming to, to take out the children of Israel, either to bring them back into slavery or to kill them. And so Moses is here leading these people. I mean, can, imagine the pressure. I try to lead a family of of, of five people, and, and sometimes the, the weight of the is six, uh, including myself. And so I have the weight of that on me. I cannot imagine the weight of nearly two million people. And he's thinking, I've got to take care of these people. And they're complaining, and they're grumbling, they're talking about their needs. And in Exodus, they're standing right here on this threshold of the Red Sea, right? And Moses is like, what am I going to do? So he prays. And uh, so and Moses tells the people, Exodus chapter 14, Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Isn't that a good word? Stand still and watch God. Watch how good God is. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay Calm, relax. The Lord said to Moses, this is awesome. So he's all telling the people, chill out, just stay here, watch. Then God says this to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. So Moses is like, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this is like, this is, you know, a leadership moment for him. He's like, God is telling me. I'm telling the people to move, to, to stay still, and God's telling me to tell the people to move. I just, God, did you not, see that? <laughs> I mean, I just told them to, to to stop, and you're telling them to go. Right? Which is it, Lord? God said, get moving. Now, listen, I believe that, that that has to do more with posture, the stand still and watch, than it does to do with position. But I love that, that God says, why are you crying out to me? move why are you crying out to me where you're at why don't you just move forward and watch what i'll do i mean it's easier to steer something when it's in motion come on we just oh i'm just getting this is you know this is the epidemic for y'all 18 to you know 24 year olds here you're living life and you're like i'm just waiting on the lord you know what he's probably just waiting on you you be calm, you trust Him, but you move forward. Don't just be, ah, just waiting for God to tell me what to do. Listen, the Scripture is full of things that He's told you to do. Let's go ahead and do it. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be called to do it. You just move out in faith and you do it. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites, my people, can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Listen, we look at waiting on God as a timeline, don't we? And uh, I don't think necessarily, I know we've kind of joked with it, but I don't think necessarily Moses was saying, okay, you guys just stay here and watch. But he was speaking to their posture. Calm yourself, relax, God's about to do something. We look at waiting on God as a timeline, but waiting on God is not about a timeline, it's about a posture of our heart. It's not about stillness, it's actually about progress. Progress. It's about trusting and resting in God. It's about trusting and resting in His goodness. So, we know the story. (sighs) Waves, all this kind of stuff. They cross. The Egyptians follow them. And then God closes the walls of of the, the Red Sea. And it destroys all the Egyptians. And we know that Moses and the people crossed over from slavery into freedom. Now, A year and a half goes by, okay? During this time, uh, the the law was given to the people, uh, all the the things about worshiping God, the temple, all these things are happening in this year and a half, okay? This was the threshold, a year and a half. In God's mind, I believe, God's plan was for the children of Israel to be there for about a year and a half, The only purpose, the only thing that happens in that year and a half is the law. All these great things about the old covenant happen. And then they go to possess what God has promised, the promised land, right? And so here we have this in Numbers chapter 13. This is a year and a half after that. And all these things happened. Again, the law, all these things happened. And it says this. This was their report. To, so Moses, this is what Moses does. He sends out these 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb were there and then 10 other guys. And they go and they look at the land. They check it out. They survey it. And They're like, okay, can we take these guys out? And then they come back with the report, okay? It's, it's time. It's go time. It's time to enter the promise. They checked out the land. And this is the report that they give Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit that it produces. So here they are. They went and checked out the land, and they've got, like, grapes, huge grapes. And they're like, check it out. This is a land that's prosperous. It's got all this amazing fruit. It's got all this honey, which is p- cool. And they're talking about all this kind of stuff. And the peop- But the people that live there are powerful. Uh-oh. And their towns are large and fortified, and we even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak, the Amalekites live in Negev, and the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So here they're starting, oh man, these guys, they're they're like, they're a strong army. And then Caleb speaks up, and he's trying to quiet the people. And as they stood before Moses, he said, let's go at once and take the land. I believe he had the heart of heaven at this moment. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. Now, later we found out that, that Joshua was on the same page as him. And then he says, we can not go up against him. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored would devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. Uh, Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and uh, and that's what they thought, too. So they saw us as weak. We saw ourselves as weak. I don't think this is going to happen. Then the whole community, this is the next chapter, uh, chapter 14. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night, and their voices rang with a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If we had only died in Egypt... Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So the land, it's available. It's got some obstacles, but it's what God promised them. And so what happens is the children of Israel, most of the children of Israel, saying, "No, it's it's too much. I don't think we can do this." With the exception of Joshua and Caleb, were the only ones that were like, "This is what God's promised us. Let's take it." And then there, it says this: they sang a chorus. They started singing in a chorus. Moses is a bad leader. And they're all complaining. They're grumbling and they're complaining like they've always done, right? The children of Israel are so consistent with their grumbling and complaining just as we are many times. And they're like, oh, oh Moses is a poor leader. Let's get rid of him. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So God gets ticked. He's like, Moses is the leader I picked. You might not like him, but he's a leader I picked for you. Mm-hmm. Change your attitude. So God's coming and he's bringing, he's about to bring all this kind of crazy judgment on the children of Israel. And Moses cries out and he's like, God, don't take them out. Don't kill all these people right now. Seriously, read the story. Don't, don't take them out, Lord. Don't kill them. Don't kill them for their complaining and, and, and take it for granted, all your provision and all the great things. You are bringing them out of slavery. Lord, just, just please, 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 don't, don't let them die. And God changes his mind. God changed his mind? He absolutely does change his mind. We got quiet in here. So God was done and decides to destroy everybody, and Moses pleads with the Lord. Listen, this shows us the power of prayer. This shows us the power of pleading before God. Right? When there's destruction, when there's difficulty, we have the right in us to go before God. And plead a case before heaven's court and say, this does not belong here. God, would you change your mind? Or would you change the hearts of kings? We would rather complain than go before God. I can tell you one of those things is effective. The other one will keep you in the wilderness. All right. Numbers chapter 14. Move along. So all this happens. I know we got a lot of reading today. Just bear with me. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I've performed. Can you see the heart of God here? He's like, man, I've done all this stuff for them, and this is how they act. In Egypt and in the wilderness, but again and again, they have tested me by refusing refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those. Now, when it says none of those, it was speaking of all those under 20, all those that weren't capable warriors at the time. Those who have ever treated me with contempt will never, ever see it. But my servant Caleb, and later we found out in the chapter that Joshua is included in that, has a different attitude than the others have. We know that God is looking for you to have a different attitude. Right? He has remained loyal to me. So I'll bring him back into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go on towards the land where the Amalekites and Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. God goes on to say, he said, for the 40 days that they explored the land, I will give you 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. A transition that was only an 11-day journey. A transition that could have only lasted a year and a half. Add another 40 years on top of that. Why? Why would God do this? Why would God stick them in the process? Can I tell you today, it's because they weren't prepared for promise. The things that needed to happen in the desert already happened at this point. We see the miracles, right? We see how good God was. We see the Moses speaking to the rock and the, the water coming out. We see the manna. Every morning they walk out and they had like pastries on the ground. They said it was sweet like honey. And then at night, every night they had quail, meat to eat for dinner. Every day their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. At night, they would have a fire that would keep them warm from the, from the desert cold and lead them if they needed to move at night. During the day, they had a pillar, a, a cloud by, by day that would protect them from the desert heat. All these things. And guess what? God kept providing for them. He kept taking care of them even though, when they were in the desert. Even though that wasn't their destination, God still could maintain these things. We see the, the, the law and the tabernacle. All these things happened during the process. All these things, all the, all the growth that the children of Israel needed could have been provided in that year and a half. But because they chose to look at problems instead of promise, it kept them where they were at. So I talked talk for a few minutes today about being stuck in the process. How did an 11-day journey that was supposed to take a year and a half, we can give them that. How did that take 40 years? First of all, they feared they got stuck in the process because they feared. Notice the words. Notice the words that they said. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we could take these guys. They saw that the enemy had posse- who had possession of the promise was stronger than the God who made the promise. Isn't that what fear is? Is saying that the enemy is stronger than my God who promised me this is? Number two, they fussed. They complained. They had provision. They had protection. They had one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known. I mean, who else can lead two million people? They complained they didn't have food, and then when the food came and God gave them food, they complained about the food. But God took care of them. And what did they do? They fussed. It was better in the wilderness. It was better in the in Egypt. Wish we had a different leader. La, la 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 la. The most consistent thing about the children of Israel, they fussed. The most consistent thing wasn't their faith. It was their fussiness. Their complaining. Gosh, I hate complaining. Some of you aren't a parent yet. Your tolerance for complaining will not grow. It might. Maybe it will, but mine hasn't. Is yours? No. I seem to like get more irritated with fussing. Okay. Kind of like God, like that. <laughs> God's obviously very irritable with complaining, but still gracious. That's where I need to learn. Okay. So, number one, they feared. Number two, they fussed. Number three, they forgot. They forgot. They forgot what they saw. They forgot what they saw that year and a half. They forgot where they came from. They forgot how bad slavery was. They forgot where they were. They forgot that they were, they, they were in where God wanted them. They forgot whose they were. They forgot that they were the children of God. And they forgot what was coming. They forgot to believe promise. And this is what happens to us many times when we're in the threshold. When we're stuck in the process, we fear, we fuss, and we forget. We forget. I'll tell you, one of the things that helped us during that season was that we had developed a history with God that taught us in certain areas of our life, not in every area of our life, but especially in the area of finances, that we had learned in our history to not forget how good God had taken care of us in the past. Listen, as you develop that history with God, you're going to be tempted to forget those things. But you got to, God, and I would remind the Lord, Lord, you always took care of us. And you're gonna, I know the Lord, you're going to do this. You've been, God's been taking care of me financially for 20 years. There's a lot of those times I was like, what the heck is going on? It seems like thats always a deal that, that happens when you're in transition—is the financial thing, because that's one of the things that we tend to fear about so much. One of the things that we're so tempted about is finances, right? And so what happens is that's where we fear. We're like, Whoa. well, you better just start developing a history right now with God, start tithing right now, start giving right now, or you're not going to. When, when it gets really difficult, you're not going to have that to tru- You're not going to have that trust that you developed in your heart. So we were never worried about the money. Never. No, I don't think one time we worried about the money. That's, that's one thing that Leslie and I have done in our marriage. We said, we're not going to fight about money. We're not going to worry about money. Because God's taking care of us this long. He will take it. And we will not forget. We will not forget how good of a provider he is. So you partner with God. You develop that history with him. So those are the things that will keep you stuck in the problem, the, 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 uh, the process. Fear, fussing, complaining, and forgetting. Those are things that will keep you right where you're at. So let's talk about moving into promise. Y'all right? And you might even say this, speeding up the process. I'm not saying you're not going to go through a process. You will. But what can you do to keep it moving? They just wandered around in the desert for 40 stinking years. Could you imagine being a kid? You know, because the, the kids actually got to see the promised land. Could you imagine being a, like an eight-year-old kid? And finally, your parents die out, right? God didn't kill them. They actually died out. And he, you've heard the stories about all this stuff that happened. You were an infant when, you know, you, there, there was too long ago to remember, and here you are, and you're you're seeing all this. Can you imagine to be, be a child At that, and they can grow up to become a warrior in it, and actually take the land. How cool is that? Um, So, moving into promise number one, choose courageous obedience. Choose courageous obedience. This is the thing about obeying God; it's an adventure. It's an adventure. Uh, it's an, an adventure of assurance, not a burden of boredom. And so many times we think if I obey God, I'm going to be bored. No, no, no. If you obey God, you're going to go on an adventure. It's the adventure of assurance, of trusting, of, of being with him. It's not a, the burden of boredom. It's actually entering in to all that God has. You know, it's easy for us to sing, Spirit lead me or my trust is without borders. Isn't it easy to sing that? We all love to sing that song, especially ladies. All right? You guys have seen the little memes. All right? We sing those songs. Oh, God, I'll, I'll trust the Lord. Extend, extend. You know what? It's going to take some stretching in your life. It's going to take some. Go for it. Pray those prayers. It's an adventure with God. It's painful sometimes. It's difficult. But you develop all that history with the Lord. You become unshakable. You know, it takes more courage to face giants than to stay in the desert. It takes a lot more courage to go and possess the promise than it does to stay where you're at. You can stay where you're at for the rest of your life. God will take care of you. He'll provide for you, but will you choose to stay there or will you move into what's better? Will you move into what's greater? It's so much easier to survive, to, to survive than it is to thrive, isn't it? It's easy just to kind of go day to day in the grind of our schedule. Get our little system in place. What fun is that? There's an adventure in obedience. What does your adventure look like? Right now in your walk with God and what you're doing with Jesus right now, ask yourself that question, what does my adventure look like? When is the last time I've taken some risk in my walk with Jesus? Are you with me? It's an adventure. It's an obedience to saying there's something greater. There's something greater. I'm going after it. You know, when, when Joshua goes to take Jericho, Jericho is the first city of many cities that God had promised God shows up. Moses died because of his disobedience. The disobedience of Moses later on in his life, God told him to speak to the rock, and he struck the rock, right? And that kept him out of the promised land. Disobedience will keep you out of God's best. The disobedience of Moses kept him from it, but the willingness of Joshua enabled him to see it. And so it wasn't that Joshua had like, I mean, he was a warrior, but it wasn't like he was in his prime. I mean, this is 40 years later. So, if he was even 20, he was in his 60s. He was at least in his 60s. So, God comes to him in Joshua chapter 1, and, he, and, and there's a theme in Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua 1, 1, verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. If you're the one who is about to lead these people to possess the land, I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. God's repeating himself. Be careful to obey the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. And then in verse 9, it says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why did Joshua need to hear that? Because he had fear in him. It's been said that, that courage is fear that has said its prayers. Move into something that's scary. Do it. Move into something and know that God is going to be with you. Or you can just stay in the desert. But the choice is really up to you. You will go through a desert in your life. You will go through many deserts. You'll go through trials. But whether you stay there or not is entirely up to you. Will you move forward with courage and obedience? Number two. Choose gratefulness over grumbling. Gratefulness sets the stage for greatness. Gratefulness sets the stage for greatness. You want to be great? I'm not talking about in the world's eyes. You want to be great in God? Develop a grateful heart. You want to be great in your destiny? Develop a grateful heart. Greatness always comes out of gratefulness. This is why when people win championships or fights or whatever, we have a problem when they're arrogant because they're not being grateful. You can't be prideful and grateful at the same moment because gratefulness says it's not really about me. It's the credit belongs somewhere else. This is why we, it annoys us so bad. is because to be great, you might be the best, but just because you're the best doesn't mean that you're great. You'll be forgotten by being the best, but greatness is never forgotten. So gratefulness sets the stage for greatness. First Thessalonians 5:18, be thankful in all circumstances. It doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong in G- to Jesus. Say this with me. Say gratefulness is God's will. It's God's will for you to be grateful. Let me tell you this right now. It is never God's will. Never. Never God's will. Never God's will for you to complain. Never. When you complain, you're out of the will of God at that moment. Now, you're not going to experience some, you know, exile because of that. But in that moment, you are not obeying the heart of heaven. You're saying, this is worse than what God has. This is worse than the greatness that is before me. And you're saying, I'll stay in the wilderness a little longer. This sucks. This is so wrong. Listen, we all complain. But the best way to stay where you're at is just to complain about it. Because you complain about where you're at and you will stay where you're at. You've got to develop victory in your heart, and that is done by not taking the credit and being solid, but by saying, "God, only you can get me through this. Some of you have a grumbling habit it 's your default it's negative right as well as praise my personality blah, blah, blah. forget all that you just you need to stop that. You need to put an end to that mindset. That was the difference between Caleb and all these other people. They complained. (laughs) If God really, he would make them not even be there. If you don't stop that, you'll never get the best out of this season. The antidote of grumbling is gratefulness. How grateful are you? I I, I tell my kids, they'll say stuff like, that's not fair? Well, we don't say that at our house. Yeah, it's an F word. I'd rather rather them say the other F word than that F word. I think I would. That's not fair? What is that? That's complaining. You belong to God. Jesus died for you. The king of heaven came for you. That's not fair. (laughs) Favor ain't fair. That ain't right. But he did it for you. You have nothing to complain about. God's saying, You live in America, man. For Pete's sake, I don't complain about America. America is so bad, so rotten, I'd rather go live somewhere else. Go ahead, try it. See what you'll complain about then with your no internet, no cell phone, sleeping on dirt every day. You need to get a bigger perspective. Start being grateful for the things that God has provided for you. You live in a house that's got heat. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, I belong to you. Thank you, God, that you love me. You cannot be grateful and grumpy at the same time. It don't work. I've tried it. Because once I start can't be grateful in that moment. But I've also known that when I'm when I'm being grateful, it's hard for me to go, life sucks. So the best way to stay where you're at is to complain about it. (laughs) The best way to stay where you're at is to complain about it. So you like where you're at, complain about it. You'll stay there. But you're only complaining because you don't like where you're at. So don't complain about it because it's going to keep you there. And you don't want to be there in 40 years. You don't want to enter into a promise 40 years. So now you want to go right now. Right now's the time. Right then was their time. A year and a half was all they had to be there. But instead, they complained about the leadership. They they feared the giants. They forgot. Number three, choose to believe God. You know that believing God is a choice. It's not always our default, is it? Our, our, Our default is normally whatever the situation says, right? Oh, gosh. Worry, default. Complaining, default, right? These are all like our carnal default, you know, that we're dying to. Believe God. What does that mean to believe? What does it mean to have faith? It means that we trust Him. And you know what they forgot to do? They forgot those words that Moses told them before They crossed the Red Sea. He said, relax. Be calm. Be still. And watch God. Watch what God's going to do. And God told them, to get moving. But they forgot those words. Trust. They forgot to trust God. Trust his goodness. Trust his kindness. Trust that the promise won't last, that the process won't last Forever. Trust that wherever you're at and, and as you're, you're developing and nurturing these things in your life, it's bringing you closer to promise. That you're closer to promise today than you were yesterday. You just are. Just choose to believe God that that's the fact. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, unbelief is always tied to disobedience. We don't obey because we don't believe that what God has is better. So God has a problem with the disobedience, but the greater issue is the disbelief, the unbelief. We see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Will you believe God this year? We believe Him for something better.